I think it's more important or like more practical that you follow your curiosity. So if you're curious about something, uh, follow it and see where it takes you. And that can sometimes lead you to something that you'll feel passionate about and sometimes it won't. Um, but it's about starting with the curiosity and not being, I guess, daunted by the idea of needs to be something that you are obsessed with every single day. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board, with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Jasmine Garnsworthy. Jasmine is a digital communication specialist and former style and beauty editor at Pop Sugar, Stylecaster, and Mamma Mia. She has global experience successfully managing digital properties that reach millions of people, working to grow and engage audiences for high-profile publishers and brands like Shopbop, Facebook, Revlon, and Bumble, to name a few. Jasmine is also the founder of The Buff, a line of customizable beauty oils that I am truly obsessed with, and it's literally what I attribute my skin transformation to. I use the jojoba blend every single day and night without fail. I really, I just can't live without it. On today's episode, we talk about digital strategy. We get into the influencer marketing game from her perspective as both an influencer and a brand. And we talk about her process on starting new career paths. Jasmine is a true entrepreneur in every sense of the word and is constantly learning and challenging herself while also ensuring that the things that are important in life are always at the top of her list. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Jasmine Garnsworthy. So I am so excited for this week's episode with Jasmine Garnsworthy. She has been an industry friend for a long time. I feel like we started our relationship very like work friends and it's, it's evolved over like four or five years. And I just, it's so cool to see everything that you've done since we met when you were an editor at Stylecaster. And I'm just excited for so many reasons for this conversation, but I just wanted to thank you for being on the podcast for the second time. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Sophie. So this is the second time that we're recording this podcast because she was the first guest that I did on Active Ingredient and I was so nervous and the questions were horrible and I interrupted every two seconds. So I think that this, I think we're going to do this one justice. Trial and error is what it's all about. Totally. So I like to start the podcast by taking it back to kind of like what your parents would say of you as a kid and kind of get an idea of any traits that you think have translated into adulthood that make you kind of who you are. Um, this is interesting because I, I just got married and mom and dad gave a speech at my wedding and I was a very demanding child. I was demanding of people around me and I was particularly demanding of myself. Um, I think that also say that I was like quite independent and I don't think that they would be surprised that I um, that I'm self-employed now. I was the kid who, you know, I didn't have a lemonade stand, but I had. I used to sell. I used to spend my pocket money, and I'd buy uh, I'd buy like bubble gum and candy lollies, 
and I'd sell them on the side of the road. Um, but we lived in a gated community in Papua New Guinea, <laughs> so there was about 10 houses in our compound, uh, so not a lot of traffic, not the most successful business idea. <laughs> but you persevered. I did persevere. Which is the most important part. <laughs> so obviously people have heard your accent. You are from Australia. Yes. Um, that is a big move to move across the world. And you did it at a very early age. How old were you? Uh, I was 24. So I kind of want to get to your psyche of deciding to make that move. I want to get into like, how, how did you approach it? Were you like, I'm going to build a life in New York city or were you more like, I'm going to go for a year. And then it turned into two years and then it turned into three years. Like, what was it about moving to New York that excited you? And did you see it as a long-term goal? I always knew that I was going to live here at some point. Um, It wasn't something that I was like actively working really hard to make happen or anything like that. It was just something that I knew it in my bones that it was going to happen. Um, I moved to Sydney when I was um, 20 or 21 And in my head, I was kind of like three years and then I'm going to New York and I had no idea how I was going to make that happen. I really didn't even know that many people who had been to New York, let alone who lived here. So what was it about it? uh, Like, I guess it was just TV and movies and it just seemed like the center of the world and I still feel that way. I need specifics. Like, was it Sex in the City? Oh my God, of course it was Sex in the City. I'm trying not to be a cliche, Sophie. (laughs) Well, I'm rewatching Sex in the City to get like reinvigorated into New York. So I'm basic as hell. Whenever I feel over New York, I just watch Sex in the City and it makes me, (laughs) even though it's completely unrealistic, but you know. Um, And I was, I was the fashion editor at Pop Sugar at the time. And one night I was just sitting on the couch with my then boyfriend, now husband, and I was checking my email and I received an email from H&M and they just opened in Australia and we'd been working really closely with them on um, on editorial to like announce the news. And they were sending, I think, three editors from Australia to New York on a press trip for um, a collaboration launch and I was invited to go to New York. And I was just like, checked the email, could not believe it. I'd never been sent on a press trip before like that. I mean, that's major. Oh, huge. And with H&M, like that's a huge It was amazing. It was the Alexander Wang collaboration, which was really great. Casual. Yeah, very cash. (laughs) And um, yeah, so I I went on the trip with H&M and Steve came with me. We actually made a holiday out of it and kind of like extended the trip because originally it was three days. And we were like, we cannot, I cannot travel for 24 hours for a three-day trip. So we extended it. And while I was here, I had the opportunity to meet um, Laurel Pinson, who was the editor-in-chief at Stylecaster at the time. And I I think she's at Glamour now, but um, we met and she pretty much offered me a job on the spot. And um, at six o'clock that night, we were going to dinner at Budokan, as all the Australian tourists (laughs) do who watch Sex in the City. What's up, Labo and Tao and Bungalow 8? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I I received a call from the HR team and got an offer and it was kind of – it was a way. So it was – I think it was something that was always meant to happen and the universe definitely aligned to make it so. Living in New York hasn't been easy, but the move here was just seamless. So what was Steve's reaction? He – he said, if you get a job in New York, we'll move, thinking that it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, and I think I'd been here for 24 hours and I got offered a job. So he quit his and we moved together. Steve is also my husband. Amazing. So 
What was it about journalism that excited you in the beginning? Like you were obviously working in Australia for Pop Sugar. So what was it about that industry as a whole that kind of drew you in at an early age? You know, I wanted to work in PR first. Really? Yeah. So what turned you on? <laughs> <laughs> I was not very good. I Wait, um, I want you to I want you to explain what about PR was it that lured you in and yeah. what you didn't like. It just seemed super glamorous. Yeah. And so did Spoiler journalism. Alert, it's not glamorous. Neither journalism. <laughs> and my uncle was a TV journalist. In, well, is? No, was a TV journalist in Australia. Uh, he worked, he did tourism shows basically, which mm-hmm. is just the best. And I interned with him when I was in high school. And it was, it just looked like the coolest job. And honestly, it was the coolest job. But realistically, I just didn't think that would be an option for me. And um, so I set my But what about on, it? It just... It just seems so glamorous. Like they were in this position of, I guess, like a level of power. Like they had, they were the gatekeepers to this information and then they could share it with all of these people and they weren't, it's not, it wasn't like a celebrity factor to it, but it definitely felt like you can create this thing and share it with the world in like a really meaningful way. Um, but are you talking about PR or journalism? Journalism originally. Okay. And then I thought that that was going to be impossible and I thought PR was something that realistically I could do and mm-hmm. I could be really good at and I could earn good money. And everyone told me journalism doesn't pay very well, which PR it doesn't. does not pay well either. So. Right, discover that as well. Um, Our industry as a whole really. Totally. That's a new conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so I studied like I studied media and PR and started interning with an agency and uh, they offered me a job and one of the um, senior consultants there said, you're, you're really good at the um, the writing part of it. You should be a features writer. And I was kind of like, oh, my God, no one's ever told me that before. How amazing. Um, and so I kind of started trying to do some copywriting on the side and then moved to Sydney as a copywriter. And, um, and it was kind of at the time when e-commerce and editorial were really starting to merge, whereas I think now like content and commerce goes hand in mm-hmm. hand, whereas this is – 2010 or 2011 and it was like pretty early um and my my boss at this website where I was doing copywriting was a former editor at L and so she really made me feel like it was really possible to switch over to the editorial really editorial side of it um and then I got a job at a um a publisher and it kind of went from there do you think that the salaries on both ends on PR and editorial are similar because I feel like the skill sets are kind I mean, from the PR perspective, it's like you're writing a story to be sold to the editor mm-hmm. that's going to write it a different way, but yeah. it's still kind of a similar process. Yeah. Do you think that the like the what people get paid for that service is similar? Um, I think it's similar in the lifestyle and fashion space mm-hmm. in that it's so poorly paid mm-hmm. and I kind of learned over the years that a lot of the people who stay in editorial have other streams of income. It's mm-hmm. not actually, yeah, they're not just paying for their lives as an editor, which I didn't realize. Um, and I don't think is is necessarily very obvious when you first enter the industry. And, you know, someone who was completely trying to be self, well, was self-sufficient, I realized that maybe this wasn't the way to have the life that I wanted. Um, I think that PR probably has more capacity to earn more because, you have the opportunity to go corporate, whereas you don't have that in editorial, really. So you are then writing for Stylecaster. Yes. Um, how long were you at Stylecaster for? Um, I think I was there for two and a half years. Oh uh, my god, that's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Why is she? Are you guys getting drinks here after? <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Oh my God, you're so funny. Mabar is meeting me after too. That is so funny. Hilarious. She's so cute. She also just works down the road. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Very okay. Funny. That was it so was weird. That was really <laughs> funny. So distracting. You guys look so anyway, much alike. It's like bizarre. also that is something that I've manifested is Elena living in New York as Don't well. Talk to me about Not that. just like me living in New York. It's her living here. Like that was just this effortless thing that just happened. Anyway, um, can I well, tell you that like, and this I'm probably gonna edit out, but whatever. I'm just gonna say like I'm so jealous. Kiki moved here and now she's not I know, living here. She needs to come back. But I need to manifest us living in the same place. But maybe somehow. it's you in Miami. You just need to roll with it. This is something yeah. that I feel like. I've something that I've like always cognitively known, but I feel like I've more just known it in my bones in the last year. In that you just need to really just like accept shit the way that it is, and things that are meant to be are not meant to feel as hard as I think I'd been trying to. You know what I mean? Like That's things so shouldn't true. always feel like such an uphill battle. One thousand percent. Like, and I hate that I say a thousand percent in every episode, yeah, but it's yeah. so true. And I feel like when things flow, it's for a reason, and yeah. it's not complacency. It's just that. Yeah. When you are doing things that align with your totally. morals and with what makes you feel fulfilled, yeah, things just start coming your way. No, I it just agree. happens. I agree. So I don't know if things start coming my way in Miami. If Miami listeners are <laughs> to have any clients <laughs> for me, let me know. Yeah. So you were at Stylecaster. How mm-hmm. long were you at Stylecaster for? I think I was there for two and a half, maybe three years. And you covered beauty, lifestyle, and wellness primarily. Yeah, I kind of covered everything. Um, I they they did have vertical editors. I didn't have a vertical. I was more like writing across mm-hmm. everything. Um, so I did a lot of news and pop culture as well as uh, beauty, fashion lifestyle. I did a lot of wellness towards the end. So obviously you have like a ton of connections to experts in all of those arenas. And that's Mm -hmm. obviously your job day to day is to be interviewing these people and gathering a ton of information. What was it about the beauty space that kind of sparked your interest in potentially starting your own company? And at what point Mm. in this like journey of you being an editor, did that first idea come to you about potentially starting your own your own beauty company? I think that I became really interested. I think a, a, um, an astrologist actually told this. <laughs> so like, <laughs> believe it or don't. But I first, when I first became really interested in wellness and natural beauty, um, someone explained to me that like my personality type is all about um, I'm very into professional and personal development and self-actualization and that is basically what the wellness industry is really mm-hmm. all about. Uh, it's about making yourself a better version of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what interested me in it. I didn't have the idea to start the buff until maybe three or four months into freelancing. So when I left uh, Stylecaster, the plan was to um, consult with brands and consult with publishers and also freelance, right, which is very much what I do now. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I think it was Christmas time. I uh, I was making presents for my friends and I wanted to make um, little like customized beauty oils because I'd been studying a diploma in organic skincare formulation. I just wanted to test it out. But like, why did you want to study that? I don't know. That's not, I think that's not that if unnatural. I have, I think I'm someone, if I have an my biggest fear is that I'm going to be a dilettante. And I think What's that, that What's a dilettante? it's someone who like, talks a lot and doesn't know anything. Mm. And so when I have an interest area, I guess I want to deeply understand that and be able to 
talk with real authority on it and not and I don't know if that's if that's like a good thing or if that's just a kind of like imposter syndrome that is inherent in like a lot of women particularly and I'm just trying to combat that or if it's just you know a quest to become an expert but um I think that's what made me want to do that I think it's honestly probably a combination of the two like you obviously want to hone your craft and be really the best of the best in what you do which Mm -hmm. is super fair and like what everyone should strive for if you're going to really want to be the best in whatever industry you're in but I think that imposter syndrome is something that like we're always going to have to battle but I think it's something that helps us like it it always gets such a negative connotation to that word like I feel like Imposter syndrome is just like everyone thinking that they're not like supposed to be at that table or supposed to have the success that they have. But I do think that it's like a fire under our ass to really level up and get to that next step. And it's like you can't you can't like ignore it completely. But like I I just think that if you look at it with a positive lens, it's just something that's pushing us to also just literally perfect our craft. I agree. You know? Yeah. So I think that they go hand in hand Mm -hmm. or else complacency happens. I can't remember what the question was originally. Did I answer it? Oh, like why, why were you going for this diploma? Oh, no. How did I start the buff? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then this diploma thing. Yeah. So I think that's why. And, but then, so I was studying this diploma and, uh, I wanted to kind of use some of that knowledge. And so I, um, blended some oils for a girlfriend for Christmas and um, I had a, a graphic designer friend make up a label and I had them printed and gave it to her and she really loved it. And then I just offered them to a few more friends and a couple of friends who like influencers and editors were like, these are really cool. Like I'd really like to write about it. You should make the, make a website so people can buy them. Um, and You really I did. genuinely did not have an no, idea like, of it being I a business? I didn't. I thought, I definitely thought, I, I think that anything that I pursued, like I'm very much wired to be like, this could be a business, this could be a business. Mm-hmm. But I didn't I didn't have the initial like motivation to go and like build a website until I had kind of like validation, I yeah. think, from someone else. Um, I was actually working. Did I Have I ever told you about that image agency I was building? Do you remember this? No. This is just like might be a little off track. But I had been working on an image, image agency which aggregated um, content from different creators and made it, um, available to publishers and brands to use instead of like a Getty images. Mm. And the idea was all around like a much more diverse representation of women. And anyway. what? Yeah. I actually had like a, quite a few publishers using it, but I just really couldn't monetize it and make it, um, self-sustained. But anyway, so I was, I was like quite focused on that and like building out this platform. And so I was kind of like this beauty idea on the side. I knew it was going to take a lot of effort and and time away from this other thing that I was building but um yeah I just put together a little um Squarespace site and again just let orders continue to roll through we got some press coverage and um and then I invested in building out a much more sophisticated platform that allows uh, full customization and has a much more intuitive quiz tool and that kind of thing after that so how long have you been working on that? And have you have you really been splitting your time on writing and creating content for other brands mm-hmm. while also running the buff? Like, would you say it's a 50-50 split? I think one of the things I learned um, while building the buff is that I really enjoy the branding and digital strategy side of running that business. And that's probably um, one of the strongest parts of the business is the content side. Uh, that's what my skills are. And it's what I really enjoy. So uh, I've really been trying to keep the digital strategy consulting side of what I do alive. And I'm, I'm working with like quite a lot of brands now. I think it's probably, 
probably spend honestly like a few hours a day working on the buff and then the rest of my time is spent working with other brands um but I have a fairly streamlined process now for order fulfillment um inventory tracking all of that kind of thing so I have contractors who are doing that stuff so I can kind of like dip in and out so I want to take it back to you leaving Stylecaster because that was a full-time job and you were mm-hmm. getting that two-week paycheck mm-hmm. um, to freelancing and then ultimately starting the buff. What was that process like? Did you have savings? Like did, how how did you feel that you could be self-sustained? Like was it three months, six months of you saving? What did that look like? I had – when I left, I had a little bit of freelance work lined up. Mm-hmm. So I felt, um, I felt comfortable that I could – live cheaply for a little while. And I just, honestly, I just backed myself. I just thought that I could make it happen. Um, I didn't, I probably should have had more money saved. Um, I was going to be totally transparent and I have a really supportive partner. So I always knew that I wasn't going to be homeless. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's so true. And, know, and like, it's just, valuable for other people yeah. to listen to because sometimes yeah. like it's, it's such an important thing to ask because everyone's like, yeah, obviously I want to just fucking flip totally. the table and say, peace out boss. Like yeah. I'm not coming to work. Mm-hmm. tomorrow, but I think you it's need important to have some to kind know. of safety yeah. net. And like, yes, I had some savings and I had work lined up and I also had this safety net of, I had a husband who, um, was really supportive. And if things all went to shit, like we could still pay the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. So of all the many different things that you are doing, and we haven't even talked about Farewell, which is oh, her farewell. other company that I am obsessed with, mm-hmm. um, which we can definitely get into. But out of all the things that you are working on right now, seems like branding is a huge thing for you. Um, what is it about that? And it, correct me if I'm wrong, if it's not that, that is like the most exciting to you when it comes to everything that you're doing. Because there are different things, but I feel like they all fall kind of under a similar umbrella. Yeah. Um, it's definitely around digital strategy and digital comms. Um, I guess it just changes so quickly and I love the immediacy of it. I've always loved the immediacy of digital publishing that you can create this thing and put it out into the world and see how people interact and engage with it and how they respond to it. And it can all happen in the matter of minutes, um, which I think is really cool. Can you explain for listeners that are not in our industry, what digital strategy is? Yeah. Um, I consult with different brands on everything from um, putting together an editorial calendar that might cover their website, their um, any content they have on their website, email, social media, uh, and putting together campaigns, but also just the day-to-day content that gets shared through those channels. Uh, and it could just be like a top-level strategy that I put together and then they go ahead and execute, or it could be um, a very uh, detailed editorial plan where I have contractors who actually execute that content um, and produce everything. So that's really what digital strategy means. What's your favorite part of it? Mm, I love editorial calendars. Like I really love that like planning side of it. Um, I don't love posting and doing that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which um, I have now I have like people who can help me do that, which is great. Yeah. So we're getting into the social conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Jasmine is also an influencer. So I am so excited to ask you the question from both ends. I feel like it's so valuable. Um, What is your view on influencer marketing now and in the next year or two? And what do you think is working? Like I, 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 I come from the PR lens, right? So I, I now think that those two things come hand in hand, but I would love to hear from your perspective on having an actual company that needs to be covered in the press and with influencers, as well as being an influencer who gets paid to work with these brands. What do you think is the future of it? And what do you think actually works? 
Uh, there's no avoiding influencers or a huge need to be a huge part of any um, any marketing strategy or any communication strategy at all. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. I'll be, I think that Instagram will continue to disempower influencers through features and algorithm changes. Uh, you know, we've already noticed now engagement is is really sliding, mm-hmm. and everyone's complaining about it. But it's kind of like. Well, Instagram's revenue model is all around advertising. So why would they want influencers to be getting such a large share of that spend? Exactly. And I just, I, I really expect that to continue. Um, but then it's, you know, it's a fine line where these platforms completely rely on, on really engaging in great content. So they need the, they need professional content creators, but they also need to um, attract marketing spend. So I I don't, I don't know what that's going to mean for influencers as a job description, but I think that it's probably going to change a lot. Um, things that work, I think that Instagram stories get really overlooked and I think engagement on Instagram stories can be really high for branded content just because I think that you can do it in a much more, um, the word authentic is so overused, but like really, like a really authentic way. Instagram mm-hmm. for, stories just feels much more of the moment, which is what Instagram was designed to be. Whereas I feel like a feed now is almost like a website. Like it's a static thing that you well, you know, it's living and breathing, but it feels like a static thing that you go to, to get a view of what someone stands for and what their aesthetic is. Whereas Instagram story is a much more, um, you can have much more personality. And so I think that people are really going to be really engaging in that more. And that I think brands need to work with influencers on more story content. Whereas now Instagram feed stuff is way more highly valued. Which I don't think makes sense. No, like as a consumer, I think of my behaviors and my behavior uh-huh. is never to scroll anymore when no. it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. But now my behavior is literally to have the five to seven people that I follow religiously. Yes. I seek them out if they're not in my first five yeah. little circles and I'll watch their 20 stories of the day in yeah. a row and I'll binge yeah. it, you know? Yeah. We're a binging culture, so I think that makes a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree that a feed is just – it's completely overlooked. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fees – I would love to hear from your perspective. Like do you think that you're going to shift your your rates to be heavier on the stories versus feed? Or how do you see it from like an influencer perspective? It's hard to know because who's – you know, it's like a chicken or the egg. Like who's going to lead the change in in how that's weighted? I – because brand – I don't think that brands are – valuing Instagram stories as much as more like an add-on mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like, oh, I'm going to over-deliver, so I'll just post on stories. Totally. Whereas then stories is actually what's driving the traction. But I think when you're looking at an influencer as a brand and brands want to align with you, then they want something that is like an elevated piece of content or like something that you've produced that can sit on your feed and can align their brand with yours. So I think that it has value in that sense and it's more expensive to produce that content. So yeah, I don't know. It's really hard. It is more expensive, but I feel like, I don't know, and I'm not an influencer, so I don't know, Mm. but I feel like when you're doing a 10-story slide, like you may not be doing that one time in a one-time conversation. Like Mm -hmm. that may take a few different tries. It's you talking to the camera, which is way more vulnerable and way more of like your, what's the word I'm looking for? Like your endorsement. Yes. You know, versus like a hashtag ad on a feed to me is not something that I would be like, oh, where can I find this product? You know? Totally. Where there's a swipe up on someone like you that I trust, and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking look at that. Yeah, your yeah. shoes being an example. I mean, they're great. She's boots. wearing Mista. Mista. Well, we don't know how to pronounce it. 
I don't Lisa, know how to pronounce M-double-I-S-A? it, but it's... M-I-S-A? No. Yes? I mean, she posted that yesterday, and I literally looked it up immediately. Yeah. But I don't think I would have done that if it was a feed post, to be yes, honest. Yes, agreed. I did post it on my feed, and engagement was really low. I didn't see it. Mm. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you did talk about editorial calendars being your, your favorite part of the yes, job. I love the planning part of it. So with that planning, I would love to hear your thoughts on overposting because obviously we've mentioned the algorithm and the algorithm gods love a lot of posting, a lot of stories, IGTV. Mm-hmm. They just like obviously want you to be on the app as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to hear from your perspective if the strategy for the brands that you work with is more like this is a content calendar and you need to have these three posts, five stories, whatever, to be seen or is it better to do just less? Because sometimes even for me, like for my – agency's Instagram account like we were doing we had a strategy and like there was days that we were doing a certain thing whatever but it it would be like pulling teeth for me like my creative juice was not flowing for that and I'm like sometimes I feel like I'm just like up against a wall to try to make this thing happen for the sake of it happening versus it being something that was like actually a value that I thought would help someone that's reading it you know and I think that's why having a dedicated person doing content is really valuable, whether that's like a fresh eyes from a consultant or having someone who works even part-time who can do that because it it's a really big job to be able to produce the amount of content that you need to be impactful. And I think that you need to have someone whose job it is to think about that mm-hmm. because your job isn't to think like part of it is, but your job it's isn't not, to think about it. It's your not, Instagram but it's page. like you have to get yes. yourself out there, right? Yeah. And it's like in order to actually make an impact on that platform, you have to be doing X, Y, and Z five million times a day. You know? Yeah. It's definitely more is not better, but less is worse. Yeah. Damn, that sucks. <laughs> they have to start helping us out here. Ugh. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? And I feel like now this is like me picking your brain on just like the industry in general, but I yeah. just, I, I feel like you're a super valuable person for this also. What are your thoughts on just the overall media landscape? Like what works now? Like if you're launching, you're launching Farewell, mm. like what works because traditional PR does not work anymore. I just said that in my recent newsletter. It doesn't. Alone, it does not work anymore. Influencer marketing alone would probably work on some level, right? Like I actually really do think that without without the PR side of it, I think it could work. Together, I think it's stronger. But what what would you say is like the magic combo? Um, I think that you definitely, I think you do need some traditional PR. I don't think that it's going to generate a ton of sales, but I think that traditional PR, and by that I mean online coverage in a publisher. I don't even mean magazines. No, magazines is literally just like if you have the oldest client in the world that like wants to frame it. Yeah, which I mean, lovely. Cute, but like, (laughs) no. (laughs) And like magazines are beautiful. I still love opening. I agree, but it's just not. But like I look at the cover on Instagram and I'm like, save. And also like. That's nice, but I don't buy it. Totally. And like it's. It's just like the conversation that's happening in that magazine is not even relevant. Right, like, by the time it goes. It's just that we're moving so much faster mm-hmm. than we were a year ago and two, or two years ago that, mm-hmm. that the conversation – like magazines work three months in advance. So it's just it, – I don't know. Yeah. That falls flat. So if I was – like what we're doing with Farewell, which is um, a, basically a ceramic keep cut brand that exists to raise money to educate girls through um, a charity partner – I um, I held a photo shoot and I brought together maybe I think it's 15 different women from all different um, different parts of they're all from New York but they're all they work in different industries and they're all just really interesting cool people and I think that they are 
Uh, some of them are influencers. Some of them are just, I think, thought leaders in their space. And maybe they have 3,000 followers, you know, like they're not um, necessarily like 300,000 follower people, but just people who really like fit with the ethos of the brand. Um, we did a photo shoot. I interviewed them, got their thoughts about um, the different things that they're passionate about related to the empowerment of girls and women. And we'll roll out that content both across like our and I've also been doing like teasing it on my own social media. Um, so we have, you know, a few thousand people who have re requested to follow the accounts so that when we go live, we'll go live to all of those things. The same, I guess it's almost like a pre-sale mm -hmm. in a traditional sense of like gathering emails on a website. This is what we're doing instead. Um, and so we'll roll out that content and, you know, it'd be great to get some press around that. But the main thing really is about creating a really strong brand about the people that we've aligned with that shows what we believe in, I think. Are you and leaning on them? I am leaning on them. Yeah. And like, I am host hoping that they will post. It's, it's not a paid partnership, but I think that the nature of what we're doing, it's not, you know, it's not like a for-profit startup that I'm doing. Right. People seem to be, but do you, um, I think that that's just like with the mission. what brands should be doing just in general, even if they have all the budget in the world, I feel like it's leaning on people, you yeah, know? I agree. And, um, you know, I guess like one of the reasons that I've been able to like call on those people to do that is that I've supported them for five years. It's not like I just reached out to a bunch of randos on Insta and was like, mm -hmm. hey, can you plug my brand? It's like, no, I've been, I've met these people. I've supported them in ways that I can. I've done, you know, I've built real relationships with them. Yeah. And I, I just think that like finding some chick on Instagram and sending her a pair of shoes isn't, I don't know, it doesn't work. Totally. So you are obviously from Australia I am. and <laughs> and you've been in New York for how long now? Five years. So, and you said you, you came here knowing no one. So you're obviously I a- I one friend. Okay. One friend, but you are clearly a master networker. What are your tips for someone who may be moving here from out of state, out of the country? Like how have you gotten to this place of being super well-connected to get to the point of being able to work with brands like Revlon and Bumble and, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. I don't – that's so interesting. I don't feel like I'm a master networker at all. Really? Like, no. Um, you know a lot of people, so – I don't I feel know. like networking I is just, just like, like a non-sexy word, but, like, whatever, yeah. that you've yeah, – yeah, yeah. You have a really good community. I'm definitely not someone who goes to an event and thinks I need to meet five people and walk away with, like, da-da-da. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a curious person and I'm interested in people, so mm -hmm. I think that – being interested in people when you meet them. And also I, I think that I'm good at following through and following up. So if I meet someone and I say, oh, like I need to connect you with this person, I'll immediately do that. And um, and I think, and I, you know, without asking for anything in return, it's just like, I want you to do well. Great. Like I'll connect you with that person. And I think being a connector makes you a good networker maybe. Totally. I think that that's super- It's just like adding value. That's super valuable for a listener to know. It's that you need to also like, yeah, you'll meet them and hopefully you're like a cool person and they want to like get to know you more, but provide value to that person. Yeah, I And think that, so. that will get you to that next yeah, like, like hangout session. How can I help you? Totally. Yeah. So you are now getting your master's. I am. What are you getting your master's in? Internet communications. Can you believe that's a master's degree? I mean, I feel like it needs to be- I'm studying Instagram stories at the moment. That's so interesting. Mm. I mean, it kind of goes 4chan back- and 8chan. What, sorry? 8chan and 4chan. What is that? They're like these scary messaging image boards, basically, that is breed a breeding ground for extremist right-wing terrorism, basically. What? Yes. It's what, like, 
the Christchurch shooter, how he was radicalized was basically through HM. That's it's so mad. wild. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is a very interesting master's mm. degree. It is actually way more interesting than it sounds. I mean, what As was in, it? Internet communications does not sound like the most compelling subject, but it's really fascinating. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying originally when you went to go get your diploma in skincare. Yes. Like you clearly want to always take something to the next level. Yeah. But what was it about this master's specifically? Like, is it because you are looking to flex your digital strategy muscle more? Like mm-hmm. what's what's the goal? I think that um, so much of what you offer as a a digital consultant is intuitive and what you know just from using the platforms and um, being a real like native in the space and being, and there's also like a level of like aesthetics that Mm -hmm. you just understand and get a brand. But I wanted to be able to understand the theory behind that and justify what I knew in my gut to be true. That's so interesting that you say that because I, I sometimes like question myself. Like I, I know I'm good at what I do, but I, I sometimes I'm like, am I good in just How do I this? Know that? Yeah. I'm like, am I good in just this small arena? Mm-hmm. Or like if I like expanded this a little bit more, like would I not know what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I totally get that need to feel like, oh, this is what I knew all along and yeah. I'm learning it from yeah. a I professional. I think there's a level of like also proving it to myself that I can that I can do it and that, oh yeah, no, 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 you like, you're an expert in this. Do you find it to be valuable? Like, are you learning anything that you didn't know already? Um, yes, definitely. Like what, for um, example? So one of the things I'm, I'm studying at the moment is about um, power and politics on the internet and about who should um, be allowed to govern and filter things like content online. Um, and part of that subject is learning a lot about just like the technical aspects of what is the internet and what are the actual like technical capabilities of governments to restrict content that comes into their country. You know, stuff like that where I'm like, of course they should just block 4chan and 8chan and these extremist Mm -hmm. right-wing websites. But then also like you, when you look at different like moral and ethical arguments around censorship and then also just the technical like restrictions on what people can actually do. It makes it a much more complicated conversation. That's so interesting. Yeah, it is. But have you, is there anything that has you've been able to take away and put into practice in your day-to-day so far? No, it's definitely, I'm not at a level where I feel like it's particularly like practical. It's definitely much more... Um, theoretical. Theoretical. But I think like over time that helps feed creative ideas. Amazing. Mm. So obviously this podcast is called Active Ingredient Mm -hmm. and I feel like you are a person that has a lot, like you get stimulated a lot and I feel Mm -hmm. like you have a lot of different active ingredients, but I'd love to know at this stage in your life from all the projects that you're doing, what is it like on a deeper level, not like the, the, I feel like branding, it could be it, but like, I feel like there's something deeper to what you do that is what excites you and what is what makes you want to get that new client or want to launch a new business like Farewell? I knew you were going to ask this because you ask it of everyone, but <laughs> I actually didn't think of an answer. Um, I think that it's just like what kind of what I mentioned before, it's being on this kind of path of trying to create myself. You know what I mean? I've, I don't know where I got this quote recently, but I read something and it was like, your business isn't your greatest creation you are your greatest creation and you are creating that through what you're learning through building businesses and um, learning more and like all of these endeavors that you have. So I think it's just like a curiosity about who you, who I can become and what I can do and a really like just a terrifying fear of not living up to my potential. 
feel like you're someone that's constantly pushing yourself and like I see that in you all the time and every time that we meet I feel like we're always like talking about ways to do that what are things that you do like on a day-to-day or what's something that like maybe not on a day-to-day but like goals that you set for yourself or like what is that what does that manifestation look like for you like do you have a goal of like what Jasmine Garnsworthy looks like um or is going to look like I have like two very different versions of myself that like live within my head and one of them is got nothing to do with New York and nothing to do with media and I'm living on a farm somewhere that's probably not gonna happen <laughs> I'll, I'll meet you like, at that farm yeah, yeah, honestly yeah. outside of Malibu somewhere <laughs> no I'm thinking more like Spain or oh I could do Spain or Australia we or Aust- to Australia I can't say that on on, no. on this podcast my boyfriend will kill me <laughs> no it's very far away as well um what was the question what were you saying the what like what is the when you say that like your active ingredient is making yourself like the mm. highest version of you, like mm. what is it, what is that highest version of you right now? And how do you like a- actively do things to make that vision come to life? Okay. So like a tactical thing that I actually do, I listen to, um, I'm going to sound so woo woo, but I really love listening to, um, Esther Hicks on YouTube. Do you know her? What is it? I'm actually mortified. It's this woman who speaks in the third person and she's channeling different energies. Ooh. She's super famous. Really woo-woo. But I really enjoy listening to her. And she's very much about the law of attraction and manifesting and all of that stuff. Um, And I find that I find that listening to her really like sets me in a good pace in in the morning. Um, And I do meditate not as often as I should at all. And I vision board. So I have um, a vision board that probably changes too often about what I want my life to look like and uh, the people that I want to be in it and how I see my days. Um, But that's changing a lot now as I'm learning to accept that I think I'm just meant to be, no, I'm meant to be in New York for, for now. I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing. Like I need to stop constantly trying to strive for significant change in my life where I think no, I just need to learn to be content where I am and then I'll organically move into other things that make me happy. It's such Is a fine a really, line. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. But it's it's such a fine line like with striving and also being in the moment and and grateful and content with where you are. Like yeah. how – like I don't I even know how to do that. Like, no. It's just like, you know, trying to trying to be okay with with the process but – making sure that the process is leading you to something. Yes. Even if you don't know exactly what that something is. Yeah. I think that that's just like life's challenge, right? Yeah. Like trying to move and progress, but also just being where you are. Absolutely. Um, I This is like kind of a question that's like on a personal level. I am interested to know because I feel like we're both really close with our families and you've uprooted your life and you're far away from your mom and dad. Your sister luckily comes here all the time, um, but you're doing it to pursue your dream. And to do this manifestation of what you envision your life to be. And you've built a beautiful life here, but you are far away from where you grew up. How do you justify that? And how do you like deal with that when you have moments of being like, I just want to be in a farm in Australia. I just want to be with my mom. Yeah. It's really hard. I, I do get to go home a lot. I think that's actually one of the really big motivations for being self-employed. I go home at Christmas sometimes, like I went home for my mom's 60th in the middle of the year. So I didn't, I didn't miss that. Whereas if I had been employed in a more traditional way, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that. And that makes it easier and easier to justify. Um, but you know, like my best friend has like two gorgeous kids who I love and I'm missing all of that. Um, 
And it is really hard to justify. It's like what they, that is the most important thing in my life. And, you know, why would I be doing anything else except for that? But then there's this drive inside that wouldn't be satisfied if I was, if I was at home, it wouldn't be the right fit. So like, I really don't have an answer. I'm just, it's just like a day-to-day thing. Um, and now I have all of these amazing friends here and I don't want to leave them either. I know. Apparently they're working on a um, – I read somewhere that they're working on a flight from Australia, Sydney to London that'll be six hours or something like that. In the what? Next 10 years. Yeah. So you just live wherever you want. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. It, that is the longest flight, right? That flight is – yeah, I think it's 24 hours transit. Not in the air but like with the stopovers and stuff. Wow. It is insane. Do you like try not to think about it and like does the time difference – I Yeah, 100%. I just don't think about it. And then you just get on the plane and it's – that's so disgusting. wild. It's so wild. So you're obviously someone that is always pushing yourself and learning and challenging yourself and it's taking you to where you are today. So I would love for you to tell our listeners any resource that has been super helpful for you in your career that has kind of set you up for success and has made a huge difference in your life. I really enjoy uh, Coursera, which is an online platform um, that basically teaches you anything that you want to know. I found it really interesting just to like, you know, follow my curiosity in certain topics that you don't necessarily want to do a full master's degree in. Um, so that's been really great. I learn a lot from podcasts. I I really enjoy um, No Filter, which is a podcast by actually my former boss and the founder of a um, platform called Mamma Mia, which is Australia's, I think it's their largest women's mm. platform or whatever, um, which is really great. I think that those conversations are really helpful to give you um, to give you a template that you can kind of apply to your own life to see how people have, you know, is it literally exactly what you're doing with this podcast? It's like helps give you a framework of what's worked for other people and how they've navigated certain challenges and then being able to take that and apply it to your own life. I really think that, um, those, that podcasts give a really great space for a more like nuanced conversation Mm -hmm. about certain things. So I've definitely picked up a lot from that. Um, they would be my two. Amazing. Mm. So this podcast is for the person that's just completely lost and doesn't even know the questions to ask themselves on what their passion is. And it doesn't even have to be their passion, just something that they are excited to do every day and wake up and go to and give it their best. What would you say to someone that came to you and was like, Jazz, I don't even know where to begin. Like you seem to be like someone that works in something that you love. Like how do I get myself to just be vulnerable and open enough to know what that is for myself. I get different versions of this question in my DMs all the time. I think um, passion is I've got two I've got two answers. I think that passion is a really big, scary word. And I think that you're um I don't know, I'm passionate about my friends and my family and my husband and um like certain social issues I'm really passionate about, but am I always deeply passionate about the editorial strategy that I'm putting together? No. Not always. Um, I think it's more important or like more practical that you follow your curiosity. So if you're curious about something, uh, follow it and see where it takes you. And that can sometimes lead you to something that you'll feel passionate about and sometimes it won't. Um, But it's about starting with the curiosity and not being, um, I guess, daunted by the idea of needs to be something that you are obsessed with every single day. Um, I also think that there's a level of just like you just need to kind of do the work and then 
you'll learn how you'll learn how to do it. And then once you find that thing that you're passionate about, you can apply those things that you know to the thing that you'll be ready for it. Once you find your passion, like you just need to go through the day to day, like don't expect there to be a magic lightning bolt moment where everything just falls into line. You just need to put in the hours and do the work and become good at it. And, um, and then it'll lead you somewhere. Amazing. So I always close out the podcast asking, what is your literal active ingredient? It's like a lighter question on something that you have to do every day, whether it be your to-do list or meditation, or if it's laughter, tea. I saw it on your Instagram yesterday. Mm, tea. It is. <laughs> is it's it? like a very specific tea. I carry it around with me. Um, I order hot water at cafes and I bring my own tea. What tea is it? I'm not a coffee drinker. It is, um, they sell it at Whole Foods and it's an organic matcha tea with, um, rice. Mm. Rice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like toasted rice. It is so nice. It doesn't have like the bitterness that green tea has. It's just really good. Um, so I carry that around with me in my keep cup all day and, and that's your what gets cup? me through in my farewell cup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, and where and can everyone follow you? Um, Jasmine Gansworthy on Insta and It's the Buff also on Instagram. And the new brand will be The Farewell, spelled F-A-I-R-W-E-L-L. Amazing. I think we're good. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a second to rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient.